cats, dogs, a snake, cooking steak, delicious coffee, and more. On this episode of Awesome Today. Awesome Today is a mostly daily show about stuff. Don't overcomplicate it. It's barely edited and sometimes offensive. Enjoy it and have an awesome today. All right. I feel like we're closer than normal. We do feel awkward. It's because it's Father's Day. Is that what it is? So I want to, you know, make sure we're touching. I know you like that. You're highly affectionate. (laughs) You like when people (laughs) randomly touch your skin. Makes me feel toady, like (laughs) fat neck. Get off me. Your very, very favorite thing is snuggling. snuggling Yeah. (laughs) Please touch me. I'm trying to go to sleep. (laughs) That was a. That was a rude awakening for me as a newlywed, as you may know. You knew. No, I did not. You knew I didn't like the touchies. Not in the context of overnight sleep. That's true. Hello, by the way, and welcome to the show. Uh, <laughs> come on in. We're in the middle of a conversation. Just come on in. Don't make it weird. Yes. But truly, we didn't live together before we got married. That's we true. had limited dorm room. Let's watch a movie and then we fall asleep. In the same <laughs> dorm bed. This is true. Experience. It's true. Those were twin beds. It was completely PG. It was very well. You're sullying part of it. You're <laughs> sullying your own reputation. Anyway. Who will have you now? <laughs> oh, I'm problematic. Wait me on that. I got oh come kids. on, come on now. Okay, but truly, um, as a newlywed, that was a, a like. Oh man, that's a little bit of a bummer. I just still, I maintain there were plenty of tactical clues there. You're right, and I sh- I should have picked up on them. Mm-hmm. But we had to have some good verbalized conversation about it. Right, like get the hell off me. <laughs> that's pretty much how the conversation. Went. No, it wasn't. You make me out to be such a villain. That wasn't an eye of villain thing. You just had to say, don't touch me while I'm sleeping or I can't sleep. Well, and I said it very politely. Yes, It wasn't did. news you wanted to receive. And then, to make up for it as a consolation prize, you let me get not one, but two cats so that they could yep. snuggle me. And they did. And? And they sucked. <laughs> they were difficult. We are so bad at they pets. They ripped the blinds out of the windows repeatedly. One day... One day, this was in married student housing, which was a real treat. Cinder block walls. Yeah, it was like, it's like a, a communist. It's like a double prison cell. Yeah, communist prison. Uh, there was nothing lovely, yeah. inspiring. It not only had cinder block walls, but old linoleum floors mm-hmm. throughout. Yep. Yes. Okay, we lived there. Right, so we lived there, and we were we were both busy with stuff. Still in school, still doing our undergrad work. And I had swung quickly through the home before heading back over to the stadium to do some coaching. And we had a 10-pound bag of kitty litter that was unopened, sitting up against the wall in the kitchen. And I think we still had one cat at the time, but she had ripped the bag open. And then quite magically, she had spread like I don't think a construction team could have gotten a more even spread of kitty litter across almost like doorway to doorway of the entirety of that little kitchen was just a solid half to three quarter inch 
beautifully manicured layer of kitty litter. Thank goodness she'd not yet no. decorated it. She did not use it. She just wanted to be able to observe it all. Look at my yes. kingdom. Yes. Kingdom of kitty litter. I may poop in all the places. <laughs> she was the worst cat. Yep. Um, speaking of cleaning up after pets, mm. on this Father's Day, when you I have done so much for our family, cooking dinner and all kinds of stuff, um, I got to clean up dog puke out of not just one of the puppies' crates, but both of them. They must have gotten into something. Yep. They shared some poison. In the backyard. They both puked. It was everywhere. You know, I've been a mom for 15 years. I do and can handle all of the kid grossness. Puke, diarrhea, dirty diapers, all the things yep. that are gross that kids do. And it doesn't bother me. I mean, it's not great, but I'm like, ah, all right. Animal stuff. It's pretty gross. It's rough. Yep. I was like, ooh. Yep. Trying not to puke. You myself. could never have been a veterinarian. And you know, I wanted to be when I was in middle school. What a ding dong thing yeah. for me. And that's not to I say. I've been so bad at it. I don't assume veterinarians enjoy it. They're like, no. Looking forward. Who's got a puker? Bring it on. I don't think they're into it, <laughs> but they do somehow have an ability to. Yeah. I'm sure it's just whatever you're used to. Maybe. I don't know. I've killed a lot of snakes in my life and I still freak out every time I see one. <laughs> Remember that baby one that was in the basement? Yep. On the laundry basket? Yep. Don't like it. Got in the basement. This house. Yeah, wasn't that long ago. <sighs> good times, good times, good times. Well, we don't have any... We shared some stuff from our own personal history. No mm -hmm, historical mm -hmm. date. Yeah. Factoids for today. You can blame me for that. For us, as we record this, this day is Father's Day, and I... I did work pretty hard on the meal, and I just needed some downtime. Plus, plus, we got to go to the most surrealist mass we've been able to go to yes. since quarantine started this morning. Yes. Um, the, the oddities of it, the outside of the norm of it was that we had to sit with an empty row between mm -hmm. everybody and then the wearing of the mask. That's a long time to wear a mask. I'd not worn one that long yet, and I have a whole new... A whole new perspective, a whole new heart towards the people who've been wearing them for eight-hour shifts. Yes, absolutely. Ooh, absolutely. Um, it was great to be there. Yes. Not a huge yes. crowd. It was also thunderstorming this morning. Uh, yeah. our, our children were in shock of being up and out the door that early. The puppies were freaking out, like, what's happening? Yep. We don't know this life. Um, but we did it. We did it. And it was great. It was great. It was fantastic to be back. Yes. Um, it's still... Still technically a time. Uh, so so for Catholics, for those of you who aren't aware of this, Sunday Mass is not a choice right. in normal times. In normal it's times. part of your obligation. Yes. You go to Mass mm -hmm. every Sunday. Yes. Um, since COVID started, there's been a special dispensation that mm -hmm. said, hey, use your best. When it's been available, there was a time where it just wasn't available, period. Right. Um, and that was to honor local law. Yes. And then once it became available, uh, they, the dispensation remained and said, you know, make make the right decisions for you to be safe, especially if you're a high-risk person. So yes. it was just an open door to be wise if possible. Um, and that still stands now. 
I said today was the first time for our parish at least, uh, and probably for the Archdiocese, I would guess, that we're in, where it was just like, okay, here's here's the two odd things, um, a few other little mild procedural differences, but other than that, come on, and it's real Mass available for you, and we've missed it dearly, and it was yes. good to be back. It was so good. It was so good. And then I cooked. Yes, you did. And I, I cooked a lot. Um, it was it was a nice feast day for multiple reasons. And you did a new preparation on the steak that you had done before. I did. So we've kind of gone through the gamut of, of, well, not the entirety of the gamut, obviously, or we wouldn't have a new thing to try today. Um, I grew up where if you ate a steak, it was on the grill. And if right. it wasn't on the grill, you're probably part communist and you well, don't deserve red meat. I'll tell you what, I grew up way, way, way sadder than that. I didn't know until I met you and started going to your parents' house on the weekends when we were in college. I did not know the deliciousness of grilled mm -hmm. steak because when my parents bought steaks, they cooked them on the broiler in the oven. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so those things were well, and I cannot emphasize this strongly enough, well done. Yeah. And well, I thought I hated steak. Yeah. So. Right. Right. I can remember the first time you came over and had a steak and you were very reluctant and, and it was a delight. It was good. You enjoyed it. Now I can also remember it would have been, hmm, probably 2001 or two was the first time we dared to buck my familial history and go from oh, yes. charcoal to propane. That's right. Yep. Mild rift in the family, mm -hmm. but we, we did make it through that, got to the propane, enjoyed the propane. I love being able to control the temperature more absolutely. Um, I like I like the way things taste on charcoal, but it is sometimes a little touch and go. Yeah. Um, so you grilled steaks for a long time. Grilled steaks forever. Then, and I... I think we had come across this just simply because I was tired of grilling steaks outside in the winter. Mm -hmm. It's not a fun experience, especially when you got to clean the snow off the grill and all of that. And we had begun uh, doing a broil, but we did a pan sear on the stovetop and then broil, but then not just like broil it until it's shoe leather, like broil to quick. internal temperatures. It was like, what? Five minutes aside. No, no, it wasn't even that long. <clears throat> yeah, three minutes. Yeah. Three minutes aside. Usually. Maximum, maximally, it was three aside. Yeah. Um, to get, we we prefer a medium to medium rare. Yeah. And that we did that for a long time, and then transitioned to just a cast iron seared, uh, cooked and finished, all on the stove top. And then today, I've read plenty about it. I know it's a big thing. I'm not the originator of this. We did a reverse sear where you cook it a little bit lower temperature than what a broil would be. Um, mm -hmm. Cooked it for about 20-ish minutes mm -hmm. in the oven. And then when we were done there, I didn't. I don't have a meat thermometer, or at least not one I would trust, or we would have gone absolutely to pursue an internal temperature. That's the technically right way to do it. Right, right, right. But we guessed about right, pulled it out, and then seared the crap out of it at the end instead of at the beginning. And right. it was quite a tasty steak, nice crusty sear, and yeah. it was good. Did that and some... Some tramps, several, a couple different styles of that. No, uh, no vegetable because it's Father's Day. And you just didn't want one. Didn't want that one. That was okay. Part of that was because oh. of where we had to shop too. I know what we were going to talk about: the coffee that you picked. Oh, because we had tiramisu for dessert, which mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. opted out of. That's 
It was for you guys. I know. That was very thoughtful of you. But you picked up a great bag of one of our favorite regionally local roasters. It's Onyx Coffee Lab, mm -hmm. I feel like, is their actual I name? can go grab a bag. Make, okay. Make up something to talk do about. A little, mm -hmm. Do a little uh, soft shoe killing time thing. Um, I think I've actually maybe even mentioned Onyx Coffee on the main show before. It really is one of our favorites. They're out of Arkansas. And... We get it at Whole Foods, and we just happened to have to go to Whole Foods today, and so Kyle yes. got this. Yes. I don't even know if that's on the screen or not, but I'm showing it to you <laughs> for those who can see. Onyx, O-N-Y-X, Coffee Lab. Okay. We've had several of theirs that we like. The one that we've liked the most in the past, in the flavor profile, it mentions apple pie crust. Mm -hmm. And you can actually taste that in it. And I... I can't remember if that's their Colombian Aponte or I something. Think it is, yeah. They changed names on it yes. for some strange reason at one point. Yeah. Um, but this one was the the flavors were red apple, pastry, brown sugar, pecan, and we both kind of agreed it tasted an awful lot like a not sweet mixture of a bear claw and an apple fritter. Yeah. It's really good. It's really, really good. good. And of course, when we say this, I mean, this is roasted coffee. They roast it and these flavors come to the surface. This mm -hmm. isn't a flavor right. coffee. Right. There are no additives. It's right. bean selection and, and roasting technique. Exactly. And so when Kyle and I open a bottle of wine and we're reading the bottle and it's like notes of this and plums, plums and berries and all that, sometimes I can taste it, sometimes I, sometimes I can't. But with coffee, and especially the ones from Onyx, mm -hmm. when I taste it, like I can, I can the, my first sip of this was like, oh, I'm getting that that pastry, you know, crusty coming through. Right. And then I was thinking, and then like the pecan really came through. I can't do wine tasting, but coffee tasting. You are a coffee sommelier. Uh, well, maybe. I don't know if I'd go that far. Well, hey, <laughs> wear your badge. Be proud. This was a really, it's a really good, one. good one. It's a good one. And we've had an interesting little journey here with coffee because we have a, a local roaster that's, what, three miles from here? Mm -hmm. And they were unbelievably good. Mm -hmm. at, at our first exposure to them, truly, it was the best coffee that I'd ever had. Yeah. And I don't know if it's an issue of volume or what. I know that there are... It's a tiny company, and I know that there was an internal riff and some uh -huh. things. Yeah. And they're still good, but they've lost the magic that they once had to me. And Onyx, I'm confident, is also a very small shop mm -hmm. as well. Um, but to me, they've they've hung on, and they've they've continued to put out a very unique product. Very good. Very good. Very good. I like it. It's good stuff. All right. Anything else? Hmm. transition i think that covers our those, actual day those things yeah um so we're finishing the book and realized as we got into the last chapters i even think we mentioned this on the previous discussion that we were coming up on the last section mm -hmm. the last section is called wising up what we didn't realize until we read and listened to it is that it's 
basically the authors going in, they break it down like um, having wiser kids, wiser universities and wiser societies. And they give you resources. Like if you want to know more about how to parent your kids in a way so that they're not anti-fragile, so that they're, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. developing good thinking skills, here are resources. Go check out these people. It's just, it's almost like an appendix, but it is still, instead of just being bullet points, it's, you know, they, they add in their commentary a little bit, Mm -hmm. but it's mostly resources. And so I, I think we covered all the ground that there was left to cover in, yeah, yeah. Um, in the last section of the book. There, and there are good, I mean, there, there's yeah. good resources there. There, Along with these final two chapters, three chapters, um, there are two appendices. Is that the part? That is right, um, yes. That I think are value, valuable, one of which is uh, way back earlier in, we talked about cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. a little bit. They went in obviously a, a lot more depth in their chapter, but there is a how-to section for that. And that's, for anybody that doesn't remember, or if we didn't state it clearly, that is a version really of self-talk to yes. help yourself fight through uh, a current state of fragility, or maybe even if you're just on the cusp of trying to decide which way am I going to go here. These are It is some very valuable points to that end. So if those are things that are meaningful, by all means, get the book. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, I don't know that we're going to go through point by point because it really is just like for for your further engagement with these ideas, if these right. are changes, you know, for some people, the parenting piece isn't going to apply, but we know that we have superstars in our group who uh, work in higher education administration. So, right. you know, looking at some of that right? Um, and then just kind of the overall, like how to engage better as a society. So anyway. and maybe even from the perspective helpful from the perspective to say, hey, you know what? I didn't necessarily agree with something that was said there. It's still a resource to go look at to help you further solidify your position on things, to see what the talking points of the soft opposition here is to, to further shore up your your conviction and your knowledge base around what it is you, you believe. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So um, I think we have some kind of closing thoughts where mm-hmm drawing to conclusion our own, you know, sort of conversations on this particular book. Who knows what we will be covering next? I don't know. But um, you want me to go first? Please, please do. Ladies first, even on Father's Day? Especially on Father's Day. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'll do it anyway. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so... That was a polite way of saying, you're full of crap, but I'll go ahead and go. (laughs) Not very nice. I don't appreciate your passive aggressiveness. I can bring a lot more passive aggressive. I know. <laughs> I know you can. It's my specialty. All right. I think for me, there are two big takeaways from this book. And it's uh, and some of these ideas are things I'm going to be thinking about for a while. The first one, it really challenged me to confront fragility and patterns of fragility in my own life, even just in my personal life. Um, and certainly in ways that I engage with things that I come across in the broader culture, mm-hmm. whether it is um, somebody shared this link on Facebook or uh, we watched this movie and, you know, they were sharing this message and, and those types of things, like really examining in what areas and what ways do I have fragile places mm-hmm. and what are the key indicators? What are the big characteristics of being anti-fragile because that's what I want for myself for sure. And I definitely want to build that into 
our children's lives. Indeed. And that's a more daunting task, I feel like. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I do feel like we've got to do some sort of like corrective shaping with our older two, especially because um, we just have not had the resources or the tools to know like right. oh, they're sort of heading down a path of fragility instead of anti-fragility. Or even just to not get that complex with it. I, I guess the perspective I see the biggest issue with me is uh, this Papa Bear bowing up and yeah. protecting the kids from too much. Yes. And and I don't know what it was you just said here a second ago that triggered this pers- this this imagination in my mind, but can you imagine if the heroes of the Marvel Universe saved the people as strenuously as we've protected our children. My gosh, they wouldn't even let people walk across the street and swoop in and carry you across. Right. Exactly. Just such a ridiculous perspective, but that's boy, it's easy to go that far in, in trying to protect those little idiots. Yeah. So they give, um, in one of the early chapters, give a list of the, the dynamics in the, like, um, uh, the labels for different kinds of cognitive distortions mm-hmm. that you would pursue cognitive behavioral therapy to correct. I was looking through those again just a few minutes ago when this, I mean, I was telling Kyle this off camera, literally every single one of those, <laughs> literally every one of them. I'm like, I do this, I do this, I do this. One that stood out to me that I um, know I need to work on is blaming that is focusing on the other person or maybe the other group or whatever as the source of your negative feelings and putting so much focus on that person, the, the external cause of your discomfort or your distress or whatever, and refusing to take responsibility for changing yourself. Um, I see this in my own personal life in parenting dynamics, blaming the kids for being crazy, Nico for being clingy, which he has been in major cling-on yes. mode the past few days. Like 72 hours of full-on cling mode. Like, if I just walk, even I can be in the same room as him and I move in a different direction and he loses it completely. Yeah. Anyway, um, in marriage, I think that this shows up. In um, a family of origin relationships, just this idea of like, well, if, he, if he's going to act like this, then whatever, and just mm-hmm. sort of writing it off. And finding comfort like there's a there's a, um, a there's a sense of ease of fragility when you're blaming someone else because you don't have to like look inward and do the work um, and that can apply too I think with um, interacting with things that you hear new ideas old ideas um, <laughs> not letting all the energy focus on the other person and directing that energy back inward to see where you need to do the work has been really eye-opening for me. So that's on a more personal level. So would you, would it be accurate or inaccurate to kind of try to pull that together into a, a singular perspective of personal responsibility? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Definitely inaccurate. No, it's definitely accurate to well, I don't say. Know why I ask questions in a way that it's impossible to answer correctly? Maybe you should. Maybe you should turn your <laughs> that energy inward and think about how it's, am I asking questions? It's kind of fun people? though. <laughs> like do it on purpose. I know you do. AJ also never knows how to answer. Oh, it's beautiful. Her dad. It's beautiful. <laughs> I do think that's accurate. I do think a lot of the indicators of cognitive distortions um, have to do with 
somehow escaping personal responsibility. Yeah. Um, which again, I fully take ownership of that and how that has shown up in my life. And I'm so thankful, honestly, that this book even has built into it in one of the appendices, more information about how to kind of practice. Right. Now, of course, too, this is something that you can go and talk to a therapist about, a counselor. This is a widely practiced approach to mental health. Um, you get books on it. In fact, they even suggest books that you right. can even, you know, workbook type things that you can work through. Anyway. This this crosses over literally into so many amazing areas of life, like recognized at a major level. I have done, prior to this book, I've done years of research into, um, oh, crud, what are they? Now I'm going to be an idiot because I can't remember the name. Um, behavioral investing, mm, which is right. application of yes. cognitive behavioral science to investor psychology, investor behavior. And yeah, you it, it can feel... I don't know. I think it can probably feel a little bit ugly when we look at ourselves and, and see this tendency to not want to accept blame. Mm -hmm. But man alive, when you look at the how prolific it is in how people behave financially and, and with investments, sure. where they will literally, they'll create a Bible of these are the ways you should behave. And when you really examine the behaviors that are demanded, it it's nothing more than a collection of things that prevents you from ever having to take blame for a poor decision, no matter if you lose your fortune once, twice, three times, whatever. It's just there's always an escape, so you don't have to take the blame right. for blowing it. It's amazing. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So it, it, this was especially strong to me, having that background already, seeing yeah. that reality, um, seeing it play out in face-to-face -face relationships with people for over a decade now. Totally, yes. Um, the other big key takeaway for me is just having this really having the language to put to understanding common humanity mm -hmm. identity politics versus common enemy identity politics. This has been so clarifying for me. I do think that on some kind of subconscious level through the years on sort of awesome, we've kind of been working towards a, a common humanity understanding of each other mm -hmm. of issues of those types of things. So it's not completely foreign to me, but I've never had the language Right. Um, to put to it before. It also helped me really understand. And, and the, one of the key reasons I wanted to read this book was having a better understanding of cancel culture, of call out culture, and how that fits under the umbrella of common enemy identity politics. There was one sentence that stood out to me so much in this book, and it's when they were talking about common enemy identity politics, which is this idea that everything is a battle of good versus evil. Right. There are good, there are good, completely good people in the world and completely evil people in the world. And there's mm -hmm. no, you know, gray areas. There's no mishmash. There's not this understanding that um, most people uh, may, I mean, I tend to think of people as being mostly good, but they have some. Except for when they disagree with you. <laughs> Well, see, this is That's, challenging me on it that. Is, it is tough. Um, but this one sentence stood out to me so much about, and it's talking about call-out culture and cancel culture. Life in a call-out culture requires constant vigilance, fear, and self-censorship. Mm -hmm. And working in the online space, as I have since 2008, no, five. 2005, six is when I first started Sort of Crunchy. And so I've seen this transition away from when we could, 
you know, speak more freely. And if somebody does say something offensive, like, you know, there's like a, a communication of it person to person, it doesn't go straight to putting somebody on blast. Like mm-hmm. I have seen that whole evolution over time and I have recognized in my own self, in my peers, um, in communities that I've led this transition to being so afraid of being called out because call out culture does, it requires that you have to constantly monitor other people right. and your own self. And it's fear driven and it definitely leads to self-censorship, which they talk about a lot. Yep. They reference walking on eggshells. Right. Exactly. They, and they look at it in a university context um, that this used to be a place where you did not have to worry about walking on eggshells. Right. But I see it also in the larger culture. Um, well, I'm, I'm curious within the awesomes because while, while this is a diverse community, I mean, everybody's here because they found some common ground. Right, exactly. And so to me, that feels like at times it could be a very unifying thing. But then at the same time, because that unity exists, perhaps when there's a disagreement on a different issue, it could create an even more polarizing issue because of feelings of betrayal from oh, interesting. the common group. Maybe, maybe right. I'm just talking out of my beard. I don't know. It's a curiosity. It's not a, it's not a thesis. That is interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. So anyway, just kind of thinking about that. An, an interesting parallel read as you're thinking about um, call it culture, cancel culture is John Ronson's book. So you've been publicly shamed where he examines some stories of people who very publicly, very publicly made some kind of misstep and the whole entire internet came after them with mm-hmm. pitchforks and torches and um, just kind of like talking through the dynamics there um, is is really interesting because it's really focused on this idea of call out culture and cancel culture and stuff. So those are two of the biggest takeaways for me personally, mm-hmm. although there are other things that I'll, you know, kind of be thinking through a lot of parenting stuff and I don't know, it was, it was a helpful read at this moment in time. Cool. Cool. How about you? How about me? Um intersectionality okay and i have vague remembrances of reading this sometime past but i don't think at the point in time that i looked at this that we'd yet discovered or at least recognized since that time what would now be viewed at least by me as the newer <clears throat> and improper way of applying this which is this perspective that on on this continuum, uh, there's no more middle ground or extreme edge. There is a center point. And if you are not someone who is being oppressed, then by default, you are the oppressor. Right. And in, I'd never heard this before, but in the moment that I read it, or listened to it, as it were, because yeah. we did the audio version here, mm-hmm. um, man, it, it started making what has felt like such discord and such insanity uh, that's been going on in, in mainstream and in social medias, especially as of late, all of a sudden everything started making sense. Well, of course that's why there's such such a visceral, nasty response, which ties into call out culture and all these things. Well, of course that makes sense then if that's automatically because you aren't oppressed, you are the oppressor. It doesn't make it right, obviously, but it helps me to understand so that I can 
I guess, recover from the shell shock because for me, this came out of nowhere. I'm, I'm, even if people find me irritating, I'm, I'm a generally nice person. Um, if I know that I've offended someone, it, it wrecks me. Yeah. It wrecks me. And I will do everything I can to make things right in that instance. And so with accusations that get thrown around as, as of, you know, however long ago, uh, 2015 is when, when the authors really noticed this starting to become a prevalent thing. From that time forward, this increasing, here's this very heinous accusation thrown out. And I'm, I'm looking around like, what? what? Mm-hmm. It makes sense now. And it, it helps me be at a little bit more peace with myself, which means then I can listen in here because I'm not on the defensive. Right. Totally. If that makes sense. It does make sense. And I think that that even touches on a big um, concern with common identity politics is that it causes us to dehumanize people. Yes. And the common, yeah. Common enemy. Common, yep. Words, blah, blah. Common enemy identity yes. politics. Yes, yes. absolutely. Um, it's it, when, when you are taking the posture of there's only good and evil. I am good. Therefore, if we disagree, you are evil. Mm-hmm. Um, then, it is that that does enter into the dangerous, I think, dangerous territory of dehumanizing people, right? Um, which right. can lead not only you, it not only leads you down a bad path personally, but it can lead communities down a bad path. It can lead entire countries, and we can look mm-hmm. at you know, you can look at the twentieth century to see both. You just look at many, many of the uh, anything from major world wars to like smaller skirmishes that the um, igniting force was a dehumanization of exactly. an entire other um, well, de- identity group. Dehumanization of the individual, right. lumping them as a group, which sounds an awful lot like the definitions of every ism right. that exists. Mm-hmm. Racism, sexism, all the, all the isms, that's, that's all it is. It's ignoring the individual and lumping together with a bad thing. And so if you have this polarized, you're either oppressed or oppressor, mm-hmm then your whole group sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. It makes a lot of sense. Um, it's not the right way. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But, but it, it makes sense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See, sometimes you even ask your own I ask my own self a question. Confused. I got me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The other, the other major thing for, for me out of this was in, in, Interestingly or not, we both kind of hovered around these same concepts of value from the book. Responsibility for self. Um, along with this book, I've consumed, oh my goodness, so much material in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think I've mentioned this previously. Some new uh, intellectual scholars, some new economists, some new people I'd previously been unaware of. I kind of stumbled my way into the group and I've I've been drinking deeply from the well. And it's it's been such a repeated message, this responsibility for self and and even to the perspective that if you're if you're mad at something someone else has done, you've you've given them power. You've allowed yourself to be mad. And that's you know that's a great thing to say. It's really hard not to let yourself get mad. It's more of it's more of the perspective is that after you're done with your original moment of true rage, you can kind of grab a hold and say, okay, damn it, I'm letting them beat me. I'm letting them ruin my day. I'm giving them power that they don't deserve. This is up to me. 
I will take responsibility for myself. I will work hard. It doesn't mean there won't be obstacles. It doesn't mean things won't go wrong, but that the only thing that stops me is me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The only thing that makes me go is me, right. um, which certainly all ties in to anti-fragility. And it is scary. The responsibility of really recognizing True freedom, the responsibility that comes with it, it is overwhelming and scary. Mm -hmm. um, and I could really get spun up here and go on a whole political diatribe. I'm not going to. And you can all thank me in the comments <laughs> for that. Or thank Megan for pinching me into the table. She didn't do that, really. Not this time. Not this time. Um, yeah, it's scary. It's uncomfortable. And then kind of as the final wrapping up piece, um, maybe... Again, there's a thing I shouldn't have said as a good presenter because now everybody's gathering their their utensils to run out of the podcast room, right? Right. Lecture's almost over. Get your stuff. I almost cursed. I didn't curse. I'm becoming a better man. Personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's... I, I have tended more so in my life because of some very good training I had as a young man, for taking responsibility, for pursuing the things that I wanted, and especially when I'm afraid and uncomfortable, to really grind into whatever's there to push through, to go after. Um, and I'll share, I guess, one life example okay. of that. I'm absolutely an introvert. Um, I'm uncomfortable socially. Uh, to the point where at times I even wonder if I don't have a touch of agoraphobia or something. I just, whew, I don't, I don't like it. So when I find wherever comfortable is for me, I can really anchor down and get some good work done uh, and be functional and be, be good. Mm -hmm. When I first started coaching, I started at the very place that I had just finished playing. So I already knew the whole system there. I'd been there for some years, was familiar with it. And in my mind at that time, I can remember very vividly now at that time, it's like I would be per it was, a, it was not a good job. It was not a good paying place, any of that. But I can remember thinking, you know, if I, I lived here, coached here, retired here my whole career, I'm cool with that. I can, I can make this work. And <clears throat> it was, I think my third year there, we got a new head coach. Mm -hmm. The There'd been some staff shuffle. Mm -hmm. Got a new head coach. And uh, at the end of the season, he pulled me in. We had the equivalency of you know your performance review. Right, yes. Pulled me into the office. And, and he'd, he'd kind of inquired around, you know, what my mindset was towards this place, towards future, towards career. And, uh, and he said... He'd listen to what I had to say, and he was a very blunt. Uh, everybody, everybody called him the Duke. Yeah. Uh, in reference to John Wayne, who was the rough and tough, and but good, good-hearted person that just told you how it was, and and without a lot of flowery language around it, he said, "You you need to find somewhere else to work." And I was like, <laughs> "Am I getting? Fired? Did I did Literally? I not just almost kill myself for you here? Did I not do a good job? I was dumbfounded by it." Yeah. And what he was ultimately saying was there's there's a better future for you out there and it would be criminal of me to let you stay here and he gently put a foot against my back and forced me out the door he helped me get an interview terrifyingly to 
go to a much bigger school in a town multiples bigger than I'd ever lived in in my life. Yep. And, uh, and it was terrifying, but I didn't, I didn't get that opportunity for any other reason than, man, I worked my tail off. Mm -hmm. I worked my tail off. My first year of coaching, I worked for zero dollars. It's a hard, it's a hard industry to break into. There's a limited number of jobs and a lot of people that want them. Mm -hmm. I worked for free. In the second year, I got enough money to pay for my books yep. each semester. Because you were still, you had to be a graduate assistant mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. continue, right? Yeah. Yeah, more or less. Okay. The third year, I think I'd gotten, I'd gotten enough money each semester to pay for tuition in books, but that still left, you know, room and board. Um, and then it was, it was going into that, that final go round there it was going to be about the same amount of money again. And he's, he'd started that, that gentle push out the door that got pretty forceful towards the end. And I'm so thankful now. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, and, and it was, it was my hard work. It was my commitment. The fact that I cared that I was always trying to learn. I was creating opportunity through hard work and hustle and then very uncomfortable. Oh my gosh, to pursue this new thing around all strangers in a place I'd never been at a level. The, the, the biggest, the biggest crowd I had ever been in front of, uh, in that first job or any time prior, I think was 6,500 people. And at the next job after that, the season opener, we played in front of 85,000 people. Yes. So it was a bit of a shock, but continued to work hard, continued to have job opportunities because of that, all because I didn't allow myself to be comfortable. I certainly was taking responsibility for my own things there. Now, that's a beautiful example. On the flip side of that, plenty of places where I haven't, plenty of places where I cling to the comfortable, the the blaming of someone else. Well, if such and such, you know, had not been a jerk. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think my truly my biggest battle with that at this point is is I watch my kids. Yeah. And I hear some of those similar responses and realize fully that it's because I've created that in them by not, not allowing, not forcing, but not allowing more opportunities for anti-fragility yes. to develop. That's been probably the most deeply convicting thing. Absolutely. Because at this point, I could die the same jerk I am right now, and I'm moderately successful in, in the world's eyes. Nobody can blame me too harshly, but my responsibility and how I'm preparing these kids that it kind of broke my heart a little bit to see where I've failed there. Well, we've been failing together. Now we can fail forward. Fail forward. Right? Fall forward. Fall forward. Yes. Less failing. Just close your eyes and run as fast as you can. <laughs> it works in football, right? Run away from fragility. Yeah. yeah. Run into, run into the pressure a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Just here and there. Just, yeah, just a little. Man, there's so many stories of of where our kids can and have pushed through mm -hmm. with some areas of growth they need. Yeah. yeah, they're not by any means, you know, a terrible mess or anything. Yeah, it's no. The frustration, because I do have the mindset of a coach, is seeing what the potential is versus yeah. what we have facilitated accomplishment of. Yes. So in that fashion, just like the coach that kicked me out the door, I got to start putting a foot in the behind of my kids. 
yeah. getting them forward a little bit. Yep. So the kick of love. It's a little love kick. <laughs> okay, this has been good. Yeah. So yeah. What do you think going forward? I don't know. Do we find a book? Do we find a show? Do we just kind of float a little bit? What are you thinking? I think we need to float for a minute. For a minute? Yeah. Okay. Starting now. Yep. You got 60 seconds. You got it. Hurry. That's right. We'll All find right. something. Let's go drink some good coffee. Let's do. Okay. All right. Have. And. Awesome. Today. Would ya? Please. <laughs> Please. That was stupid. We'll never do that again. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> With uncertainty as to what thing we will discuss on upcoming episodes, we turn to the interwebs. One site suggested that as a first step, we should put on our running shoes and clear our minds. Kyle was relieved that they didn't actually suggest running. He does not have running skills. <laughs>